Welcome back. This is Robert Fleming from the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. With me is Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, my partner and cohort on this regular podcast, Elder Law Issues. Welcome to Elder Law Issues. And Elizabeth, welcome back. Thanks for joining me again today. Well, thank you, Robert. I'm pretty excited about talking about a topic that we hold near and dear to our hearts, trust funding. So the, the whole idea about uh, you've established a trust, what do you have to do to fund your trust is so complicated. It's a perennial topic. People ask us a lot about it. We've talked about it here and there during our podcasts uh, first two years. We've been doing this for almost two years now. And I thought we would do a, a two-part session. A session. We're going to call it Trust Funding 101 and Trust Funding 201, Just or maybe it should be 102. No, it'll be 201. It's going to be way more complicated, some of the more uh, complicated issues that, that come up on a regular basis. So you've established your trust. Um, we've drafted it for you. You've gone through it. We've, we've gotten you to sign it. We're going to help you with transferring assets to the trust. But why do they have to be transferred to the trust and what has to be transferred to the trust? That's the basic question for Trust Funding 101. The key starting point is, why did you create a trust in the first place? Why do most people create trusts, Elizabeth? Well, a lot of people create trust, Robert, because they want to avoid probate. And in order to create a trust that avoids probate, you actually have to put things into your trust, either during your lifetime or at death, meaning you need to make sure that an asset is titled to your trust, held by your trust during your life or on your death, is made payable using a beneficiary designation to your trust. And of course, you'll also sign a will, which is usually called a pour-over will, that leaves assets to your trust, so things can flow into your trust that way. But by very its very nature, a will only speaks in probate court at your death. And so to the extent that you've been trying to avoid probate, relying on the pour-over will to put assets in the trust doesn't work. It doesn't avoid probate. It just adds the extra step of going from your name through the probate court to the trust name to be distributed as your trust directs. And Robert, I, I'm going to tell people who are listening today, and I'll remind them in our session 201, when you start asking me why I'm telling you to name your trust as the beneficiary on an account, not your son or daughter directly, just trust me. <laughs> Uh, trust, what an interesting word to use in this context. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the things that need to get into the trust's name. Um, and as you say, sometimes that can be by retitling them directly and sometimes by a beneficiary designation. Well, maybe we should start there, actually. What's the difference between putting a given asset in the trust's name and making a payable on death or a beneficiary designation transfer into the trust? So if I title an account today to my trust, it's going to be included as part of my trust right now. I don't need to wait until I've died for somebody to put that account into my trust. The assets in the account that are titled to the trust will be considered trust assets today. However, if I use a beneficiary designation or a pay on death or transfer on death designation and name the trust, 
that asset is not going to be part of the trust, is not going to be a trust asset until I've died. And until you have, or not you, until someone has presented a death certificate. So there's going to be a period after your death, before the death certificate, where nobody will be in charge of that asset because there won't be a probate estate, your power of attorney will have expired, and the trust won't yet own it. So there's a brief period. I don't want to overstate it, but it would be nice to have it in the trust. And here's another reason it really ought to be in the trust in most cases before your death, and that is the trust is planning not just for your death, but also your incapacity. And if it's titled to the trust and your son, daughter, lawyer, best friend, neighbor, accountant, whoever it is, becomes the trustee, they'll have the immediate ability to manage the assets that are titled to the trust, even though you're still alive. Hold on, Robert. I have a question. So you're telling me that if I forget to put a beneficiary designation on my brokerage account and I don't title it to the trust during my lifetime, that the personal representative or the trustee can't do a beneficiary designation to the to the trust on my death? No, because you're the one who can do the beneficiary designation. And they may be able to do it, in some cases, acting on your power of attorney. But that's why, why let it wait until that late in the process? You want to get it into the trust early rather than later. Hold on. So my power of attorney, can't they use that document on my death to get... A beneficiary designation on an account? Nope. The, bene- the power of attorney expires with you. And that's a common misunderstanding. We have people all the time come into our office and say, my aunt just died, but no problem here. I have the power of attorney that gives me authority. We're very sorry to tell you that power of attorney expired with your aunt, much beloved as she may have been. So generally speaking, we don't want to name the trust as the beneficiary of things so much as we want to actually get them titled into the trust's name. But there are some cases where that's an issue. It might be that you have direct deposit going into a bank account. It might be that you're getting special property tax breaks um, on your real estate that are not available to you if the trust owns the property. Uh, There are some mostly kind of unusual circumstances where a beneficiary designation is preferable to actually retitling the asset. But generally speaking, we want things titled to the trust's name, especially to the extent that you're trying to avoid probate. We want to get them in there uh, before you before you lose capacity or die. So Robert, after we have our initial estate planning meeting, when we decide that you're going to create a trust for me. Can I just go ahead and update all of the beneficiary designations and update the title of my accounts to the trust? You can, but that's not our first choice. We would much rather you actually transfer things to the trust, unless, as I say, there's some good reason for a given asset to to remain outside the trust and, and to have a beneficiary designation. And the kind of classic illustration of that is retirement accounts. They are covered by a bunch of special rules. You can't literally title them to the trust, but that would be trust funding 201. And so we're going to defer that question until our next session. But I guess, Robert, my question was, do I have to wait until I've created and signed my trust to start titling assets to it? Oh, I didn't understand that question. Yes, absolutely. Because part of your trust's name is the date it's signed. And uh, and we don't want you to guess that it's going to be signed on February the 7th and use February the 7th in the title and then have it be signed on February the 9th. 
So we don't want you to do any of this trust funding until the trust is actually in place, either by beneficiary designation or by retitling. And so, Robert, when I talk to people about this process, I have so many wonderful clients who want to be helpful and who want to do a lot of the trust funding work themselves, which is great. However, I have to slow people down. It is a process that demands thoughtfulness. And while we want your help to try and get things into your trust, it's really important to talk about it because I've seen people who start to create all different sorts of new accounts and titles. I've seen people who establish LLCs where they want their trust to be the sole member, but they haven't actually created their trust yet. So when we tell you, great idea, get us all the beneficiary designation paperwork, tell us who your broker is, we're gonna help with trust funding. And then we tell you, okay, hold on, wait for your signing appointment. It's really in your best interest. It's a little frustrating for people sometimes. It's really important that we get complete information. I, I vividly remember doing a trust and planning for an elderly woman. She died a couple of years after we did the trust. Her daughter came in and said, I don't think she ever told you that she had an interest in the Empire State Building. Does that is that something that you're going to need to know about? Uh, yes, that's something we needed to know about. Uh, and apparently she just thought an interest in the Empire State Building was not a very big deal. Well, Robert, what are a couple of the kinds of assets here in Trust Funding 101 that you want to touch on today? I want to talk about brokerage and bank accounts particularly. Generally speaking, we expect the title for your, your stock certificates, your bonds, your brokerage accounts, uh, and your bank accounts to be retitled to the trust. And that does mean that the brokerage house or the bank is going to require you to have a new account number and they're going to physically move all of the assets from your existing account to a new account. And that's a nuisance and an imposition and it disrupts your uh, your uh, record keeping. For, you need new checks. You need new checks on your checking account. Uh, and and we may say, for instance, on your checking account, if, if you describe to us that your checking account never has more than a couple thousand dollars in it, we might say, okay, we'll let you do a beneficiary designation on that so that you don't need to order new checks or if you have a direct deposit going into it. But generally speaking, we want all the other accounts at your bank to, to be retitled to the trust and even that account retitled if we can. The other big asset that I want to talk about, and then we're going to defer more, more complicated things to Trust Funding 201, is your real estate. Generally speaking, we want the real estate titled to the trust. That means your home, any investment real estate you have, any vacation cottage you have in the White Mountains, or anything else. And it also includes your half interest in the family cabin on Lake Michigan, that you inherited from your parents along with your sister and uh, and the two of you have had an, an awkward, strained relationship about the use of it. Yeah, we need to put your half interest in that cabin in the trust as well. What if I have a mortgage, Robert? If you have a mortgage, it can be transferred, the property can be transferred to the trust without triggering the due on sale clause. And the mortgage company has seen this a gazillion times. They won't have any problem with it. But you're obviously you're only transferring the interest you actually have, so you can't eliminate the mortgage that way. Do people ever do beneficiary deeds so that they don't have to deal with issues with their real estate going in and in and out of their trust when they refinance? Yes, they can. 
uh, and again, that's the, the second, our second favorite answer. Our first answer is let's just retitle it. But in individual circumstances, we may go along with a beneficiary deed. And I mentioned one of them at the beginning that there are some property tax benefits for lower income people that, that only are available to, uh, to people who own the property in their own name. And so in that kind of case, we might use a beneficiary deed as well. There's also real estate in other states to deal with. We're not licensed in Michigan. So in order to get your half interest in the Lake Michigan, are Lake Michigan cabins all on all in Michigan? <laughs> uh, in, in order to get the, uh, the Michigan cabin half interest into the trust, we're going to have to hire a Michigan attorney on your behalf. Or maybe you know a Michigan attorney that you could point us to to get that transfer made. And so that is going to raise the cost a little bit and complicate the process. But it's that is maybe the most important thing. It turns out that if you own an interest in the Empire State Building, that can sometimes be real estate. And that means that you have to have a New York probate in order to get your, your uh, pour over will to be effective to transfer assets into the trust. Hey, I thought we were talking about the complicated stuff in 201. <laughs> and this, I think we just hit our wall on complication. So basic rules, here are, here are the basic rules that I think we can synopsize from our conversation in uh, Trust Funding 101. First, trust us. We actually know what we're talking about with these transfers of property. And yes, we might make your life a little bit more uncomfortable in the short term, but that's in in furtherance of a greater good. And two, basic rule is presume that everything you own is going into the trust unless there's a good reason not to. And three is after you've signed your documents, you can't do it before you signed your documents, we're going to have a long period of trust funding where you're going to get to know the staff person in our office who handles the trust funding. I usually tell clients that she will be your best friend for the next three to six months because you're going to talk to her more than you talk to the people in your bridge club. <laughs> That's it. That's trust funding 101. Uh, I think I forgot to put together a syllabus, but um, we'll talk about trust funding 201 in our next podcast episode of Elder Law Issues. You've been listening to me, Robert Fleming, and my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman of the Tucson, Arizona Elder Law Firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. We hope you'll join us on Elder Law Issues for the second session, trust funding 201, in our next podcast. Thanks.